Hello and welcome. It's David Widmar joining you this week, October the 9th. It's WASD Day. Make sure you check back in on the forecast network on the tool. Check your scores. We're not going to discuss it here. It's going to happen after the recording's finished up, but big day here for the WASD. I want to introduce Corey Morris. Corey, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Corey is filling in for Brent. He is our guest co-host this week. Brent and Corey have known each other for a while. I met Corey this summer, and he's been an early user of the Forecast Network AEI Premium. He's been showing us a lot of ideas and feedback. Corey, you reached out about the dicamba question. Brent and I had it on our radar, but you really um, held us accountable for getting that question specifically up and, and out there and challenge our thinking about that. So thanks for filling in in the co-host chair this week. Uh, Brent's getting the dry weather out in Nebraska. Maybe Corey, I want to ask you a little bit about the dry weather. He's having some successful harvests, but you know, it's sort of interesting, right? Dry weather this time of the year is always interesting in the Western Plains. Before we get to Corey and, and jumping into Corey, I want to mention the exchange rate article. Make sure you check that out. I was at a conference online uh, and a speaker this week said, or last week said, if you'd have told me with 100% certainty that the COVID pandemic was going to happen on January 1st of 2020, I'm not sure I could have made a trade or position in any equity markets or futures markets and made money on the trade. And the idea that he was trying to convey was that the COVID situation has unfolded in such a way that it's hard to predict what happens. So we have the pandemic, the scare, the economic slowdown, the isolation, the recovery, the stimulus, the rumor of a stimulus, the, the letdown of a stimulus, the, the next tweet about a stimulus. And what happens is there are second and third and fourth order events and movements, and it's really hard. And exchange rates is one that we've been following where the exchange rate shot higher initially, but now it's trended lower. And this week we sort of peeled back. It's interesting because the exchange rate is on whole back to where it was pre-COVID, but the spread is, is greater. So the dollar is weaker relative to advanced economies and it's stronger relative to emerging economies and that creates challenge for exports. And so again, this is one of those always learning situations where the dollar is important for trade and it's moved a lot in different ways, but it's been hard to keep that in mind. The other one we've seen really reverse course here is interest rates. Interest rates shot up there briefly before the stimulus took place. Corey, um, corn yields, I just want to say one thing for corn and soybean yields, and I'm going to see if you want to share your forecast. For corn, we asked the probability of the WASI report coming at or above 177. Uh, 177 is of interest because that's close to the trend. And my forecast was a 67% chance of that occurring. And for soybeans, I asked the probability, we asked the probability of being equal to or above 51 bushels. I had a 50% probability of that happening. What's interesting to me is the consensus on both of these is about 50-50. It moved higher and then it moved lower as people were adding and adjusting their forecast. I had a lot of uncertainty about this one. So Corey, what were you thinking about for this uh, specific question? Yeah, it was, it's been really confusing because on one hand, the way the questions are read, worded keeps tripping me up. It doesn't matter what I think the corn yield is going to be. It's what is the October 2020 WASDE report. And so I've kind of come back and forth to it. And I was in right in that 50% camp. I, I thought that they would rate it high, but we had with the derecho and then we've had, it's been so dry out here. I, I didn't see it really getting that high. But then as guys are in the combine this week, everybody's been really surprised at the dry land yield. They're much better than what anybody was thinking. So it just, I, I'm right at that 50-50 in that I have no idea. There's so many factors that I didn't know how to figure. So I'm, I'm curious, are they, they're better? 
better than they were thinking. But what was it, what were they thinking? Uh, were they thinking was that an average or a trend average, or were they did they already pull them down? So they pulled them down quite a bit, but a lot of guys were thinking in, in my area, I mean, this central part of central Nebraska, we're in very, very dry. I mean, top five in a hundred years, dry area. And guys were thinking 30, 40, 50 bushels. And it sounds like there's a lot of 80, 90, 100, 110 bushel, 120 bushel. I mean, so significantly higher than where everybody dropped it down to. And, you know, that trend is seemed to be more in that 120 range. So it may not be all the way up to normal. But it's significantly closer than anybody was expecting um, that's been looking at it. So it's been very surprising just all around. That's a, everybody's surprised. <laughs> 2020 is the year of surprises. So yeah. there'll be... <laughs> Keeps on giving. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was trading emails with, with someone this week and they said, here are my expectations. But if anything, if 2020 has taught us anything... Something will happen this week that will leave the USDA numbers, whatever they report, the weather event will create a lot of uncertainty. It was the Iowa storms. It was interesting. As soon as they said that, uh, we have Hurricane Delta, which is sort of squaring up to go up the the Mississippi River and and a lot of cotton in that part of the country. And so I I, I chuckled when they said it. And then I saw the hurricane. I was like, oh, my gosh. So a lot (laughs) of surprises here in 2020. So, Corey, I didn't do a good job of introducing you. I'll let you – you're in – Central Nebraska, yep. and you're an ag economist by training. You have a lot of ag retail experience. So I guess provide a quick little uh, introduction as to who you are. And uh, I have a few questions, and we've been chatting uh, in preparation. So I think we're going to have a good conversation here. I say Corey Morris. I'm actually from Missouri, but live here in Central Nebraska, Kearney. Been working with uh, Dr. Galloy for a couple years now. I'm an ag reg specialist, which uh, we work with data and and really helping helping farmers with the agronomics. But that would be a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So AgriEdge is with Syngenta, right? Yep. So you yeah, work with so, Syngenta? Yep. So working with Syngenta, Ag Economics was what I went to college for, uh, wanted to be an economist, but uh, I, I like being out in the country too much. And so it just didn't work out for me. But I've really been enjoying the, the Ag Forecast Network and just the structure that it gives me in the context. What I really like about what you have shared with us is you sort of have this interaction between data and decision-making. I think it's interesting how that always comes together, right? And so the data are really important for that decision-making. And so you're using data from yields and pulling all that together to help farmers make decisions. And then the forecast network is another tool that incorporates that. Tell us some of the questions that you're thinking about that you're really focused on within the forecast network and how you're thinking about those. The ones that I've been really thinking about, uh, the US GDP shrinking significantly, the yield one, I think about a lot just because of context and focusing on helping guys make uh, hit break even. I mean, that's a function of yield. Did we get the numbers? That's a big one I've been thinking about. The the trade aid, the dicamba one's been a big one because as I'm working with growers, there a lot of them are asking me, are we going to have extend beans uh, next year? And so that's one I've been, I've been watching quite a bit uh, as well as the presidential one because I just think that's a, a fun one. The yield one, I like working with the question and getting the full context because we keep talking about these record-breaking yields, record-breaking yields, and it's really nice to get reminded that, hey, yeah, but that's in line with trend. We should be expecting record-breaking yields every year. Now the models come with a warning label, right? That one has been on my mind a lot. Just that article uh, that Brent put together, the models come with warning labels. Everything is, is in flux and the models are wrong a lot. 
the models are only looking at one slice of things, right? And so it's a very important to step back and realize we need to be better consumers of the model, right? We need to be better uh, users and consumers of that. So it's just a tool. And I really like kind of seeing where the, the consensus is at. And when I'm way out of line with the consensus, it just makes me stop and wonder what what am I not considering that I should be considering? And maybe <laughs> I still think I'm, I'm where I should be, but it, but it just makes me stop and think about that. Now, this is a do as I say, don't as I, not as I do. I always tell people, put your forecast in before you turn on the consensus, <laughs> right? <laughs> and there's some features that kind of make you do that in some, in some ways. Because it's interesting because I've put my forecast in and then I see the consensus and then I start to change my mind. It's like, well, what information was really there? Like what information did that tell me? And it's probably pretty limited, right? So it's always interesting to sort of start my own backpedaling. It's important for me to recognize that. Okay, I'm off now. I feel like I need to revert to the mean or revert to the consensus. So I got to think about that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. Yeah, there's no new data there other than did I consider all that I should be considering? Yeah. Is there, do I have enough or am I weighing things differently? <laughs> the idea of I might be missing something is important. Yeah. So you had a question for me and I'll let you frame the question, but I'll, I'll tee you up. You were pushing back a little bit on some of the wording on some stuff. So what were you thinking about? And, and we could talk a little bit about how the wording might depart from what you were initially thinking about. Yeah. So like the big one was, was the election when it's Trump being sworn in as president of the United States on January 20th. And you know, this is question has been in there for forever. But that wording really messed me up as I've been rereading it this last week. I read that as, does Trump win the election? But, you know, we, we've got mail-in ballots that they're talking about. Maybe those don't really count. Trump had COVID this week. That could have gone differently, right? And that would have really changed this question. And so I was just kind of curious how you came to writing the question that way, just because it, it really didn't ask what I thought it was asking. It's hard. One of the neat things about the forecast network is we ask questions that are resolvable and we ask them in a probabilistic way. And that way, one point, either the event happens or the time runs up, we go back and score it. And what happens is, is now you start to set back and say, okay, what does it mean to be resolvable? And how do you actually determine the outcome? This is a great example. Who wins the election? We, we launched this question in April. That was a long time ago. It was like three, three or four decades ago in terms of normal news <laughs> cycle, right? But okay, what does it mean to win the election? We all know there's the popular vote versus the electoral college. Right. And then there is the question about, uh, so that's an uncertainty. And then, okay, so maybe we say who's going to declare the winner. Somebody's going to call the winner. Because most of us are going to be watching this election night and we're going to be able to know with a lot of certainty how this question is going to be resolved. But now there's a question of, well, who calls it? Do we pick one media source? Do we pick a host of media sources? We all hope that on November 3rd, about 10.30 p.m. Eastern, we can all say, well, I'm 99% sure this question is locked. But it's when you actually make the question to be resolvable, that starts to get hard. And we try not to make value judgments. Now, there are times when we have to step in and be the referee and say, this didn't go the way we wanted. We've blown up a few questions. And the idea with this one is, Let's make it so that there's a natural autopilot to this. And so the inauguration is pre-scheduled on January 20th of 2021. And we asked, what's the probability of Donald Trump being sworn in as president of the United States on January 20th, 2021? Now, as, as you mentioned, there are a lot of things that could happen between now and January 20th, 2021 that could make that not happen. Right. That is unrelated to the election. 
Now, they're all very small probability events. And maybe the events of last week increase the probability of something of that nature happening. But this is a good example of how do we navigate that. You know, the Senate question, what's the probability of Republicans holding more than 50 seats in the Senate as of January 3rd, 2021? Another great example is we all want to say who's going to win control of the Senate from the election. And there's a few nuances. You should read the background story of this. There are two special elections. One of them is in Arizona where the winner especially if the challenger wins, the calculus of the Senate control would change potentially between now and January 1, because that the winner will, will take office as soon as the canvassing is done. Then there's another special election, I believe it's in Georgia, uh, there could be a runoff in January. And so we said, okay, Senate inauguration, all signs point to that happening on January 3rd. So how many seats are held by Republicans on that date? So it's hard to sometimes line up the resolution side with the 30,000 foot picture that all of us are thinking about. But I do think the way the questions are worded definitely help you to keep from being myopically or just totally focused on one thing. It's not about the election necessarily. There's all kinds of other things that, that come into effect and it helps you sharpen your thinking. I'll give a quick example. The repeal of the Affordable Care Act. That was something that was in the Senate. I believe it was, was that in 2017? August of 2017? And we were all watching that, the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. And so there was a question, what's the probability of the individual mandate being repealed by January 31st of that year? And we're all hyper-focused on this Affordable Care Act. And there was the infamous thumbs down vote that uh, everyone will remember. And it looked like that question was dead. They did not repeal the Affordable Care Act. But then we got to January and there was a tax bill and the tax bill included this removal of the individual mandate. And so like, it was this very sort of, okay, what does it mean to repeal the Affordable Cares Act? Well, the question that we were thinking of was individual mandate. That sort of was embedded in that. So speaking of being focused, tell us about a book that you read, Range. Uh, it's, it's a good book. I have not finished it. It's one of those books where I read a chapter and my mind goes down a rabbit hole and I sort of start thinking about all these new ideas. I got to put it away and sort of get my thinking <laughs> reined in. So tell us about the book, Corey, and, and some of the thoughts that you had from that. The book is all about how you need general information to really move forward. We as a society, we're hyper-focusing, hyper-specializing. I'm a seed dealer or a crop protection guy, or I just know fertilizer. And he talks about chemists that are biochemists. And the guy specifically says, if I don't know anything, if it doesn't have a carbon in it, I don't deal with it. But the thing they talked about was when you, when you get so hyper-focused, you lose track of all this other stuff. The part that really made me think about this was they did forecasting with experts against just random volunteers. Anybody could volunteer and could put in a forecast. It was set up, it sounds like it's set up just like the forecast tool, only you could have teams and you could bounce ideas off each other. The volunteers beat the snot out of the experts. Like they, some of it was classified, but it was an easy 30% off of the experts. They were just more right. The experts would be, there's a 100% chance of this happening. 0% chance of it happening. And they were wrong 15% of the time or 20% of the time, depending on which one of those questions it was, because they were so hyper-focused on this one thing that they, they missed all of the other parts. And uh, it's, just, it's just fascinating, that idea that as we sharpen our thinking and get that context and, and look at that other information, you can do a lot better at forecasting than, than so-called experts. No, nothing and, personal with that. <laughs> <laughs> the air quotes. No, right. 
that's a huge part of why we put this together, right? Is Britt and I were trying to challenge our own thinking and, and found there's a lot of people out there who want to challenge their thinking. And one of the things that people initially say is like, well, I'm not an expert. I can't fill this out. Well, that's the point. You should fill this out. You actually know a lot. And you know, the gasoline consumption question is a good example of that. I think is there are a lot of experts out there telling us this is going to happen. So we started following it. And the consensus was very interesting. People updated their forecasts. They were watching the data. And so the other thing that happens with experts, I read a book, is about Cassandra's, which is the Greek mythological god who could sort of see the future of, and preventative bad outcomes. So in history, there's been several Cassandra's moments in the last hundred years in the U.S. And one of them was the Gulf War. And there are a lot of experts who are saying, oh, Iraq and Saddam Hussein will not invade Kuwait this, this time frame because of this, 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 and this. And one of them was, it's the middle of summer, it's too hot. They were, I think there's a holiday involved. And there are all these reasons why the experts, air quotes, decided that wasn't going to happen. And that led, this, led them to some faulty assumptions and, and that led them to some faulty decisions. And so there were some people out there who were watching this and they could kind of sound the alarm bell and say, hey, no, actually... Because of this other evidence that we have that is emerging in this new information, we're updating our expectations and you need to think about all this other stuff. It was interesting because it said the the experts, they view, they are experts, right? I, I, when I say the air quotes, I, I, it's, they're not, it's not that they're not experts, but because they're so focused, they view the world through that lens. If you're a biologist, you view the world through biology. I, I rode with a contractor friend for a while. We're driving down the road up in South Dakota and I was pointing out how uneven the crops were and he never even saw the crops. And he was pointing out the poor road conditions and how they had done something funny about sealing it that I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't even notice it. You're so focused on the things that you know. And so the experts are very focused on their idea in their world and they fit anything that's going on into their narrative. The non-experts were taking that knowledge, everything that the experts are saying and comparing that with each other and saying, okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But there's also these other factors over here that we got to balance. They were just very willing to, to give more weight to somebody else's expertise if that's what they felt fit better. The forecast network tool is humbling. <laughs> you will quickly <laughs> find yourself making some big adjustments. And, and, you know, that Affordable Care Act question was a great example where I remember reading the Wall Street Journal article. It was like towards the bottom. And it was this line about this had been added. And I forwarded it to Brent. And I'm like, I got to change my forecast. I got so hyper-focused on this. And I thought that I was on top of it. But what I missed is that this was something that the Senate was still entertaining as they were moving or this piece of legislation, they were still entertaining it. As they moved away from that vote, they were still entertaining that specific piece of legislation. And so I think that's a really great piece of advice for listeners to keep in mind. We have so much data, so much information, and it's a challenge to to train yourself to, to be able to sift through that. And I think this is, is good for, for doing that, like you say, practicing and then holding yourself accountable. <laughs> it's humbling whenever you ratchet those, you, those forecasts lower when the date's getting closer and you're like, I thought we were going to, I thought we were going to get to 425 corn this summer. And I, I forget my probabilities. Oh, I can go, really? I've talked about these before. And so I had to walk those back uh, and had to lower them down. And my score was not that, that good. And so it's a very, it's very humbling to have that experience. So. The trade deal is another one that's, that's really interesting because that one, we've got plenty of time on it. 
everybody says, no, that's not going to happen anymore, right? It's not going to happen anymore. But China can move big and fast just because it hasn't before doesn't mean it can't now. And that's kind of the whole point. You're never expecting the unexpected. <laughs> it could totally, <laughs> it could totally happen. You just got to be careful I, when you're too sure you're probably not considering the, la- the little that you actually know. So two points. The first one is I've struggled with the China question recently. You know, in June, in July, and even early August, things were bad, really bad. And I think 2020 is going to have six months of China buying at record low activity and the last six months of China buying in really in great abundance. My forecast was really low. But now with this new information, these, these big purchases, I have to update my forecast. Well, do I think China's going to reach some of those goals that whatever the number is we put there? Well, probably not. But the probability of them getting there has gone up, right? Like they're still right. probably not going to get there. But the probability is, so how do you start to move from a low, low probability event to still a low probability event? How do you start to move expectations, especially when you've set yourself into sort of, a, I think like an autopilot mode, like, oh, China's not going to do it. Boom, autopilot right. it. I'm just going to phone it in, right? You phoned or you, or you phoned in this idea of, yeah, we'll get a rally this summer. Now, how do you start to make those adjustments and realize that I still think this event could or could not happen, but the calculus has changed a little bit. The probabilities have shifted. So I read a book and I need to write a review of it. It's about poker. It surprised me how much I learned from it. The author shared a quote from her mentor and it was less certainty, more inquiry. And I think that's exactly according yes. to the point that you were making is that whatever it is, we need to sort of step back. I think that's the challenge with experts so sometimes, or even in myself, I have, when I think I have this solid opinion yes. is I fill myself up with confidence. And what I really need to do is challenge my thinking to say, okay, what could be wrong here? What's the inquiry? How do you need to be asking more questions? There's a great story from the book about how probability is a big part of poker playing. You get the hand and you sort of, you can know, okay, when I have this hand and this is visible on the table, I have this probability of winning the hand. And so the story behind this quote was one player told her mentor, who was a very successful poker player, like, why didn't you play this hand? Or why didn't you do this? You had this probability. And he just responded more inquiry, less certainty, or less certainty, more inquiry. And the, the player who was giving the advice got offended because he said this. And it, so it was just a very, he, had a, he was taking an expert opinion, like, oh, you should have yes. done this because of this hand. And the guy just pushed back and was like, you know, always be challenging your thinking. You don't always know what you think you know. There's, <laughs> there's so much, we're continually surprised. There's so much that we don't understand. To assume that we understand it all is amazing to me how often I do it. I'm like, no, I know it's, it's going to be this way. It's guaranteed. Nope. nope. I'm wrong a lot. Yeah. I don't understand the world. Like I think I do. All right, Corey. Well, we're getting close to our time here. Any other thoughts or ideas to share before we wrap up? No, I, I really enjoy the tool. Uh, I'm getting more involved the more I use it just because it does start to make you think about those things that you're not an expert on, but it doesn't mean you can't put some things together and put some thoughts together. I appreciate you guys doing this. I appreciate being part of it. So, Well, hey, thanks for um, joining us in the guest chair. As always, keep sending us your feedback and your ideas and your questions. Again, the Dicamba one's another one where we struggle to frame up that question. You, you, we share yeah. some drafts with you. Like there's the EPA registration. It's what's included in the EPA registration. Can we spray over the top of soybeans that are in the field? What about state level regulations? And so 
This is a big, wicked question. And so we took one stab at it and have one angle on the situation, but there's still a lot of uncertainty right. there. So thanks for challenging our thinking on that. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week and make sure you check those forecasts. I took a quick glance, Corey, the markets are up. So we'll see what those probability <laughs> scores look like. So uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks. Thanks, David.